You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Rick and Sean, who is sexy and South African and Irish and uh, needs a haircut. And I'll Um, I'll make a good spy. (laughs) (laughs) You could blend into any surrounding. Uh, Yeah, you can get you can get places that normal people can't. Like uh, you're you're like the South African version of Bilbo Baggins. I just I just read your your screen name here in the chat. Mm -hmm. I love the CIA. Hmm. Yeah, well they're they're, they're listening, (laughs) so send them some love. (laughs) Early Christmas gift. So on this episode, if the CIA asks, we are actually talking about delivering for your backers even when it is to your own hurt and what that actually means for you as a company. There was a an, uh, an event that happened to me last week that really drove this point home and I wish that I had someone to tell me or to give me some advice if that were to happen to me. And so, you know, we could get into that, but before we do that, Let's let's talk about some news first. Rick, give us a cool sound effect. Edit here, the other sound effect. Nerd news! I like that introduction. All right. So Kickstarter has released an update on December 12th that they're partnering with EasyShip. They they talked about, you know, a couple of cool things, but uh, one of them was that uh, they raised they've raised 7 billion or backers have pledged 7 billion dollars to Kickstarter projects. Um you know, all together, which is pretty cool. And you have to say that like Dr. Evil. Come on. Seven billion. <laughs> Seven billion dollars. <laughs> so, uh, and in addition, they launched their new partnership with EasyShip. If you're not familiar with EasyShip, it's a, a, a shipping, well, they get better shipping rates than you can on your own shipping through USPS or, or UPS or FedEx. And they will allow you actually for the first time the, the biggest deal, I think, with this thing, you'll have uh, not only will you have access to shipping rates, planning tools, and they, they're going to give you a global warehouse network and, and all of that, but you can actually charge for shipping after the campaign has concluded with this system. Um, What's their cut? <laughs> yeah, right? Seriously. So the problem that I see with this is, I mean, the reason that I couldn't use this personally is because um, it, it cuts out the pledge manager. So it seems like they're kind of getting, go, you know, going more in that direction where, you know, they're starting to get some of the pledge manager stuff put together. Uh, but you cannot take orders after the Kickstarter is finished. Uh, whereas with Backerkit or GameFound, you can. And so that's where I have a problem. But simple or rather less, we'll just say less complicated campaigns, you know, that don't want to use a pledge manager, they got a little bit easier. Certainly a step in the right direction. And it shows that they are thinking about these things. And so I think these are all positive signs. Another thing they've introduced is adding referral codes before your project is live. So that's very helpful as well in terms of getting ads set up and getting them approved by Facebook. And then you can turn them on as soon as they the camp, camp, campaign is launched and you can start tracking out of the gate. So that's going to make our workflow a lot simpler. We don't have to... You know, be locked into yeah. just using a single link, the project preview link. 
you can create multiple right. for the different ads. So that's that's helpful. I was just going to say, uh, I was going to um, agree with you uh, on the uh, simple part. So like people who have like, they don't have add-ons, they don't have different packages. Um, this will actually probably work out really well for them. However, you know, the, the easy, easy ship is only one step of the next process. So yeah, if you need more advanced things or if you want to sell more, like you said, you can't do it because it doesn't include the other tools like, you know, having people being able to log in, change their pledge, add things, add-ons, uh, or change the, the package they want. So having a pledge matter allows you to do that. Plus, I think it takes away from the community aspect. If you're really into communicating and wanting to, you know, be direct with your backers, uh, the easy ship sort of takes that out of the equation. And then you're not really communicating where if you have a good pledge manager, you can send out messages every you know week, month or whatever through that pledge manager and have them uh, interact or participate, let them know what's going on or any add-ons. Or well, you can like do that through Kickstarter, but I, I definitely think that there's, for me, the main thing that's missing is just the ability to continue selling stuff. Um, I mean, with Deliverance, we made over 400 sales and generated 170. Well, put it this way, with with the specifically with the sales, not counting shipping or anything like that, we made an additional $70,000 that I wouldn't have made if I used this system. So I, you know, while I, I really do like it, I feel like it's it is missing, you know, I, I would rather make $70,000. <laughs> I wonder if you could just use like the, I wonder if you could sort of like uh, hack, hack the easy ship system to where like, it's like, you know, it sends it out like the shipping to people, but then you could add like names and like, it'd be like $200 for shipping and product. Like if you haven't bought it yet, that'd <laughs> <laughs> save some time. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I definitely think that um, this is good for me. The best fit for somebody that would be interested in something like this and I, where I would recommend them to do it is when they have the product ready to ship at the end of the campaign. And that happens sometimes where somebody is like, Hey, we're, we're done with the product. We're ready to ship like right, right away. I think this is, I mean, it cuts out the need for a pledge manager and it, it is more sophisticated than just simply getting a Kickstarter generated spreadsheet of your clients and what, you've or what products they you know backed and that sort of thing definitely is uh, like sean said a huge step in the right direction but it, it does leave some uh for the for the majority of especially board game clients or or even you know tech related clients that are that would take pre-orders afterward um it does leave some i mean you can't pre-order and i guess Kickstarter doesn't want to be a store. They don't want to be considered a pre-order store. They want to be considered a, a and you know, it's an investment vehicle to bring a creative idea to life. So Andrew, I know recently you made an update to Deliverance, which you probably should cover, where you had promised something and you kind of had got everything sent to manufacturing. Like, oh, wait, I, I promised something. There's something else that needs to be done. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. So to explain the whole story, we finished our Kickstarter campaign and the day before we finished, I, you know, we, we unlocked every stretch goal that we had, but we had, uh, just around 24 hours left in the campaign. And at the time we were around like, I want to say $285,000 raised on Kickstarter. And I wanted to give a goal that was realistic to, to hit, but at the same time, uh, also aggressive and, I decided to give people an alternate art for two of the characters 
and that I would include those two alternate art pieces on character cards that we would include with the shipping of the game. And what I later realized was, you know, we, we had a lot of work for our artists to, to do. And we get to this point where, um, you know, just a few days ago, I, I sent all of the files into the manufacturer to, for the final prototype uh, copy of the, of the game. And, you know, so that I could uh, put the, the stamp of approval on that and then we'll mass manufacture everything. And so uh, that's currently in process. But there was this, this final stretch goal that up until this point I had kind of neglected and, you know, because the artist had tons of stuff to work on. So I thought, you know, I was looking at this and thinking, how can I get around this? How can I, you know, make this work in with my, with my current workflow so that number one, it wouldn't delay the uh, delivery of the game or the production of the game and other things like that. And so I thought, I have a really cool idea for how to put the same two characters into a future expansion of the game. And I think that my backers would be all about it. I think they would really like that. And I, you know, I, I kind of was rationalizing that way to myself. And I brought the idea up to my wife, who you should always have people um, on your team that are um, willing to speak their mind you know, but she just said, you know, if you do that and even one person was upset that they didn't get what you promised them, then you have failed to deliver what you promised. And that's not a good look. You know, I would say it's not majority rules, but it's like if even one person says, hey, you you are not delivering what you promised, then they're right. And it would you know, regardless of what the majority has to say, the minority would be the correct group. And um, that kind of convicted me to really think about it in terms of what did I promise, even though it may be to my own hurt, I need to deliver on that. I realized that it actually cost a lot more than I than I expected, um, because not only is it cre the creation of, we'll just say $2,500 in art costs for those two really nice illustrations, but it's also the production of up of either one double-sided or two separate character cards. Um, and those character cards, not only do they cost, you know, let's just say 40 cents for two character cards or 20, maybe 25 cents or 20 cents for a single character card added to the game, but they also add extra weight for shipping. Uh, first thing, you know, when I brought it up to my manufacturer, they also said, Hey, maybe we need to increase the size of the box by two millimeters and the size of the plastic insert by two millimeters to compensate for this one stretch goal. And so I realized this one stretch goal could actually end up costing me between seven and $15,000 when all is said wow. and done. And can you not do print and play as an option. Well, you know, there are ways to do it, but there, I said did, that did I would, you, did you promise physical? I did. Yep. Ah. So, so your tongue um, is your snare. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. My tongue is my snare. That needs to be TM. So <laughs> I thought, okay, how can I do this and, and deliver what I promised in the most economical fashion? And I thought what I'll do is it actually kind of inspired a whole line of, of reasoning that, that helped the company in the end. But what I thought is that I'll double side a single character card with, you know, one side will be Michael the Archangel, and the other side is Sardius uh, the Stone Speaker, which um, are the uh, characters. Normally, each character has 
uh, their character cards on the front and then on the back is like lore and uh, t- you know stra- strategic advice and other things like that for how to play the character well. And so I thought I can do it in a single card, which will cut the cost down. I can include it in the in the box, but I don't have to make sure there's room in the insert. I know that we can fit it inside the box without having to increase the um, the size of the of the box. I didn't want to do something like shrink wrap it to the outside of the box or or deliver it separately. Yeah, I've received uh, Kickstarters where you know the extra stretch goal cards are just being taped to like the outside of the box. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, I guess that's how you did it. Yeah. And then there's, you know, but then there's the, uh, the other factor of like, well, if I just did, I mean, I have 3,200 units or so that we sold and then 5,000 units that we're printing. So if I changed anything about the 3,200 units versus the 5,000 units, um, we would, it would just all cost more because if all of all 5,000 units are made the same, then it will be less expensive than adding 3,200 cards, you know? And then what if somebody gets a ding and dent and there's this, you know, needs to get replaced. I need extras and so on. It's like, you know, I, this is just such a ball of wax, but I need to deliver in the way that is most sensible for the company. And so what I decided to do is I decided to add a 10th character card, which is going to be this double-sided alternate art and, um, you know, inside the box and let the, you know, I'll let the team uh, figure that one out. The manufacturing team figured that one out and just deliver on my promise because I'm starting a company that people are looking at me and saying, shall I back the next Kickstarter? Is this person trustworthy? And I did not want to give Lee the single troll of my Kickstarter campaign right now (laughs) any more ammunition than he already has to to continue trolling. (laughs) Guys like convinced that I'm just robbing people and even though he's back to the game and he's excited <laughs> for his rewards he just treats me like dirt and it's like you know I don't want to give that one guy any ammunition and it, it was just a uh, you know overall it was something that I felt it was really important to, to deliver on and so I suppose the moral of the, st- the story is to be careful what you promise yeah think about what you promise and in fact it's hilarious because every single one of the stretch goals that I came up with I came up with months in advance and got manufacturing estimates on all of them and figured out all of the details. And then after we had finished all of that, I'm like, well, what do I do in order to keep the momentum going? And that's what I chose to do. And, um, it was stupid. So (laughs) lesson learned. It was, uh, a last, I don't want to say a last minute decision. It was like a last hour decision or last day decision, uh, which was probably equally as terrible. Um, but the backers are really, really happy. Uh, the, some of the comments that I received was that, uh, you know, one person in particular and others, um, echoed the same thing, but they said that I don't know what games you're planning on in the future. And I, I don't know when expansions are coming out, but I will back every single one of them because of what you just did, uh, with this thing. And, um, that made me feel warm and fuzzy. So, because I know that there have to be other people that feel that way. Well, there's certainly something to, to be said about being generous, isn't there? I think, and over-delivering and exceeding people's expectations and being true to your word, being trustworthy. That's really the, the key of your, your company. Yeah. And, you know, actually, in addition to the, the hoopla that made me really think critically about the manufacturing, I, it started to make me think about how will I operate in the future and you know i'll avoid that mistake again or pre-plan it so that it's more 
uh, so that I'm actually prepared to deliver on that one, but uh, or better prepared at least. But I thought about the purpose of Kickstarter for my company or, or crowdfunding for my company. And I definitely want to crowdfund future expansions and um, of course, future games that we come out with of different lines. I thought when we sell out of our first 5,000 units of deliverance, I have produced a deluxe edition that came directly from Kickstarter. When, you know, it's going to MSRP for $99 and that's kind of a big ask. There are a lot of ways that I can cheapen this product, but still allow the same experience, the actual gameplay experience. I can turn the cardboard into cardstock for every single one of the characters. That's going to cut the weight of the game in half. Uh, You know, it's going to cheapen the cost of the actual create, you know, the actual uh, manufacturing cost because cardstock costs less than um, cardboard. So uh, then in addition to that, I can drop from four dice down to two. I can cut the one of the plastic inserts. I don't have to sell the minis and and I can actually make a smaller box and other things like that. And I think I actually have, I see a way forward for a $59 version of Deliverance that is the exact same as far as like gameplay as the current version that we have. Um, Just for that will, the ballots and whistles. Right. And I, I think that it, I see a clear place for a quote unquote retail edition versus a deluxe edition. And I think that when we go to Kickstarter next time, we'll create our next deluxe edition of the game and maybe do a, a deluxe edition reprint, like a limited uh, deluxe edition reprint. And you could also it. offer that entry point then with the, the smaller game mm-hmm. so that people can buy that too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And then the you know, there's a reason to back the Kickstarter because that's the only way you can get the deluxe edition. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course you can unlock additional things. And then the, you know, future retail editions will just be a lower quality. You know, they're they're not gonna last as long because cardstock can get, you know, water spilled on it and it's ruined or whatever. You should print some extra deluxe editions for conventions you can sell there. That's a then yeah. that's a, that's a motivation to actually go to the convention as well. Yeah. And, you know, part of the part of the unknowns is that, you know, we've sold 3,200 units and we have 1,800 left, right? Let's just say, keep numbers simple. Um, I know that some will have to be used maybe for replacement parts or whatnot. But um, the uh, I, I would say the idea is that I, I don't have an idea of how many we're going to sell just because of word of mouth. You know, people will buy the game, play the game with friends, and the friends will want to buy it. I don't know how many games we're going to sell that or because of that. I know I, I'm confident we can sell probably a thousand games just through ads, you know, before you get into like the selling season and whatnot. Um, I, I want to have, you know, an edition of the game on Amazon or, you know, depending on if, if we get picked up by any major distribution or something that would be, that would change things. But I feel like at least the immediate future as long as we can sell through games, when we reprint, we don't have to reprint that deluxe edition. And that gives all of our fans a reason to jump in on the Kickstarter. So anyway. In fact, I was going to ask you, uh, with all that you know now and everything that has happened, if you actually had to launch your game on Kickstarter today, would the price change or be the same or... So the price would not change, but I would, um, the t-shirt thing. So I did t-shirts and I would make sure that 
if people wanted to buy a bundle of shirts that the only thing they got to decide were the sizes, uh, you know, of, of each shirt. Um, I got, I gave them the ability to like do quantities and people did like two Michael archangels and one free, uh, we call it the Michael shirt, the free shirt and the halos shirt. Uh, people love those things. We sold over 500 shirts, well over 500 shirts. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm thankful to have a good partner that can bag and barcode all of those, um, so that the fulfillment company can, um, can deliver them. But it's, uh, it's just a little bit of a, like an Excel pain in the neck, uh, to get them right. Yeah. To you, just you also offered different colored shirts, did you? So that probably adds another mix to the madness. Well, the, actually we, we did not the, um, each design is its own color. So you can't get, you know, the Michael in black or blue. It's, it's, if you get Michael, it's always blue. It's mainly the size, um, which creates additional SKUs. Okay. And, um, we're just creating to fulfill demand and I don't want to be a t-shirt company. So, um, that's the, I was uh, going to say, it sounds like you might need a Shopify account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think those are great things that could sell at conventions, you know, t-shirts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But also, um, they're, they are uh, cumbersome to take with you and then they get really, um, they can get quite disorganized very quickly. So, yeah. you know, that I'm, I'm, Again, bagged and barcoded makes it a lot easier where, you know, all the larges are here, all the XLs are there and they, they don't get all mixed up. And yeah. if they do get mixed up, at least you can just look at the bag and see what size that shirt was instead of having to, oh, it's such a pain in the neck to open up a shirt. Look at the, the tag on the collar because that tag is always folded right where the size is. You have to unfold the tag to see the size. And it's like opening a scroll, a papyrus <laughs> scroll. It's like at the very end. You know, so it's just, it's, it's such a funny thing, but shirts are heavy. Try looking those around the convention center in boxes, boxes, a box of shirts weighs a lot. It's like water. It's got a yeah. whole box of water. It's just like the same thing. <laughs> yep. Same thing with board games. They're like, I mean, it's literally a tree. That's, that's like, a <laughs> tree. so if you carry a hundred board games in, you're basically carrying like an oak tree <laughs> into your booth. So pretty much by the time you guys hear this episode, it's, Pretty much the end of the year. This is it. This is 2022. We're uh, finally, you know, closing the uh, the tie. Or what, was it closing the ribbon? I'm, not, I'm bad with these it's things. Tying the knot. <laughs> we're tying the knot. We're finishing <laughs> up. And in fact, uh, crowdfunding nerds, you know, had another wonderful year. Um, I think we got some loose numbers, right? Uh, I was curious to know how much money we have helped our clients raise this year. We did break 10 million. I I do know that. In terms of our listenership, we're we're double than what we were last year, which is pretty That's cool. Pretty exciting. So I looked at like this time last year, I was like, oh wow, we're actually double <laughs> than what we were last year. So that's cool. But yeah, in terms of raised, we've raised over ten million. I I recently Ooh. just tallied that up because I suppose December is a bit of a slow season. So I was like, okay, well, uh, things are kind of slowing down because not many people launching in December have some spare time and we tally this all up and I did and it probably is I probably there's a couple of campaigns that probably slipped through the cracks that but I, I think I got them all and we were over 10 million it's like it's like it's like it's like launching a Christmas song in December like yeah. no one's gonna listen to it because they're busy listening to Santa Claus is coming to town and <laughs> yeah and everyone's uh, buying gifts for everyone else so yeah it's not the uh, the money time time to uh, market your game month <laughs> because october it's like either you launch in october or you wait until 
February is what is the way a lot of people think. I think that the uh, you know there are certain campaigns that would do exceedingly well in November, December, and January. But a lot of people think that hey, you know, people are spending money on Christmas, so I don't want to lose out on backers by launching at the wrong time of the year. Some campaigns are correct in that assumption, and others are incorrect because it's mainly like the big, crunchy, very expensive mini heavy games that do really well during this time of year because people buy those as Christmas presents to themselves and they buy those as presents to themselves during the year anyway, but it just adds a little extra justification of, Oh, it's Christmas. I'll treat myself. Yeah. I I, I earned this. Definitely though. However, though, (laughs) if if you're planning on launching your game very soon, this would be the month to plan it. Um, Like Andrew was saying, uh, sales will start picking up again in February and March is a crazy month and it goes up from there. So yeah, if you, if you're going to market your game and launch it in February, you need to make sure you have all your duckies in place starting now. So yeah, let's, let's talk about this to give uh, um, a little bit of context. One example that could have, where things could have gone wrong. Like if you're, if you don't think about what it is that you're delivering for stretch goals, if you don't reason through it enough, then you could get into some big trouble. One that I have mentioned, you know, several times in the past, Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemaier Games and his metal coins for Euphoria. He said mm-hmm. that if he were to have unlocked a stretch goal that gave, that added metal coins to the game, that extra weight that was added to the game would have resulted in some very significant unforeseen costs. Um, beyond the actual cost of producing the metal or the metal items, metal coins, it was also the cost of shipping and they actually did not hit that stretch goal, but he has said that he, he actually didn't know if uh Stonemaier games would exist today if they did hit that stretch goal. Now I'm sure he's a very resourceful person. I'm sure that it, that it probably uh, would exist in some other fashion, but I, I know that he would look back at that and say, man, that was a really tough uh, thing that I did. So um, I did something like that. <laughs> and, and now but didn't Jamie Stegmeyer do it for Scythe? I mean, I've seen the metal the metal coins for Scythe. Oh yeah, but but in in that case, he you know it was probably uh, much the planning. It's really all about planning. So Jamie planned for the additional cost and weight increases for the metal coins in Scythe, but not for Euphoria. And so anyway, um, maybe we can talk about what it means if you were to promise something and then find a way to weasel out of it. Yeah. I suppose the temptation is to say, you know, you talked about your wife saying, well, if one person is disappointed, then you've gone back on your word. You've essentially broken your promise and that can have a knock-on effect. I suppose the temptation in that circumstance is to say, well, we're fulfilling the heart of the law, not the letter of the law. And uh, yeah, I said that, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. Like there's lots of ways you can justify what you're doing. So uh, where do you think you should draw those lines? <laughs> Cause I'm sure there are times where it's like, yeah, you know, I, I kind of said that, but really for the sake of everyone, it'd be better if we just go this direction. I, I think that it's very important to be careful. Number one, be thoughtful about what you say. I do think that any, you know, the, the temptation for me, I love to act on impulse. I'm a very, um, impulsive person that is, uh, what is the word? Um, 
starts with an S and I can't remember. Spontaneous? Spontaneous person. Yes. Uh, whenever, if, if I have a plan and something else interesting comes up, I am totally down to throw that plan right out the window and do whatever else is more interesting if everyone's on board. And I also think that that is, in some cases, that's of great help because, you know, in marketing, if something's not working, you should change, right? You should course correct. And uh, being open to doing things like that, I think is, is very good. People that stick to a plan all the way to the end, even though they gain new information, I think are making, are, they're making mistakes. So I, I, if I were to have said, you know, I, I know I promised that stretch goal, but given this new information, I think as uh, the leader of this, you know, uh, venture that we should probably go in that direction instead. I don't think that that makes the first thing that I said a lie. I think that, you know, given new information, um, changes are okay. It's just that um, I feel like no matter what it is that you do, you will leave people feeling and forever, forever, people will be able to point at, you know, for the, for the duration of time that your company exists and for the duration of time that you are operating in this industry or in, in crowdfunding or whatever, people will be, will have an example of something to point back to that says you didn't deliver that. And I didn't want that. I don't think that there's any way out of that. I think you can justify it using all sorts of words that you want, but in the end, they're not wrong. It's just like, hey, well, yeah, but then circumstances changed is is what you're going to say, but you promised. You know, it's like, have you ever had a little kid say, but you promised? It's like, yep. you said you go to the park. Yeah, but it's it's right. I don't have little kids. Uh, <laughs> disappointment, daddy. Daddy disappointment. Yeah. <laughs> Oathbreaker. Um, it, yeah, it, it's. It, I completely agree with this. Kickstarter on uh, as a concept, though, when you post in Kickstarter, it's it's technically not written in stone. Yeah. Kickstarter says that they say, you know what, this you, you 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 write the ideas of what you're planning on, people back it, and then you go from there. However, they they even state that you know ideas are ideas aren't set in concrete. Um, and that you can change and things may change. And of course, look at all those disappointing, uh, online games that never made it through out of Kickstarter that collected millions of dollars, but on a, <laughs> a more serious note, um, you should be treating your Kickstarter like a contract. Um, when you do business, you write a contract saying, this is what we're going to do. This is what you should expect. And this is what you're going to pay us for it. And Kickstarter is almost exactly the same thing. As long as you do what you said on your Kickstarter contract, you're going to have no problems. And if people do bring up problems, you say, well, what you, what you requested wasn't promised on our Kickstarter. It's the opposite as opposed to them saying, Oh, you promised us this. And now you're now not, and now you're the, mm -hmm. you know, the un, unfaithful uh, backer or, yeah. or game, game developer. Yeah. So maybe let's talk about this in particular, this stretch goal. So, the final stretch goal was a 777% funded bonus, which is amazing. $303,030 or $303,030 was the 777% funded. So the language I used was if this goal is unlocked, we will have Dan Maynard, our artist, create new alternate art of Michael and Sardius, two characters from the game, in action poses with chest armor 
and you will get these as new angel character cards. There's a lot of room for play. However, that there's a lot of there are a lot of words in that um in that in that stretch goal. It's like we'll give you two cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I say alternate art for Mar- Michael and Sardius? It's like I could have totally you know used. So the the ability the the more words you use, the less room there is for for creative interpretation. Alternate art. All right. You know, everybody got digital versions of alternate art of these characters. Uh, we did it, but, you know, peop- there were certain people that were actually quite excited. Uh, during the Kickstarter campaign, we had some backers express reservation of about the chest armor or lack thereof on Michael. He has his pecs out looking beefcake and Sardius is kind of the same way. And they wanted a, a you know, they're very conservative and, and they said, hey, if my family uh, is going to play this game, we, we won't use those two characters. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, if I have an opportunity to just help those people, I'm sure there are others that feel that way. So let's give them some alternate art. First of all, it'll look awesome. And I don't think anybody would complain about alternate art. And, you know, it would have the bonus of kind of um, appeasing that uh, group of our our customers. And so that's kind of why we went that way. It, It was just, you know, obviously very expensive the way that I have elected to, to go with it. And I think that the intent of the, you know, I always think about the, as you said, Sean, the spirit of the agreement and not necessarily the, the hard letter of the agreement, you know, people thought they're getting actual physical character cards. And I know that if they got digital character cards, you know, it should have been specified that it was digital. Yeah. And right. It's, it's one of those things that I think if, uh, if we were to actually get this done and, and do it right, you know, do it right. But I suppose you, you could always give people options. And this is the beauty of crowdfunding because you've developed a community. And if you do run into a position where, well, we've kind of hit a bit of snag, a snag in the road, I promise to do this. But if I do this, like if this could have delayed your production. This could have delayed the shipping. And you could have just said to people, well, look, we can either get new art, like I promised, and delay the production or we'll just include this in the next expansion um, for free. We'll just be part of it and then get people to vote or whatever, like come up with any solution. Maybe that could have been something that could have been done as well. I think it's tough because, you know, I, I thought about that, that exact scenario of, Hey, I can include these characters in the next expansion. But the problem is that the money that people paid for this particular campaign, they would have to pay different money for the next expansion if they wanted the stretch goal from the first campaign, they'd have to pay money for the second campaign. And that, so that to me just was a, a no, no, you know, it, it runs into that problem of giving the trolls ammunition and, and also Mm -hmm. giving people that are really discerning, you know, somebody's going to write a forum thread about how I failed to deliver on this particular thing. And it's, you know, just, but but in terms of using your community to kind of flesh out options, is that something that you did? Yeah, well, I, I kind of pitched the idea to our Discord and I was met initially with a little bit of, uh, you know, requests, I'll say like requests for clarification, but I got everybody on board with the original idea of, hey, let's put these characters in a future expansion. And they're like, you know, you're the, you're the boss and I trust you and this is going to be even more awesome. Whatever is going to be delivered in the future is going to be even more awesome because you've shown yourself to deliver something awesome as as it currently stands with deliverance there and they're very happy but 
you know, I thought, first of all, those are like Discord users tend to be a little bit more of our hardcore fans. They've all played the game um, on Tabletop Simulator and they are, um, you know, so they're they're much more likely to uh, be in agreement with the, you know, my decisions. And I just I felt like the average person that may not even, you know, that may open one out of every three emails I send uh, that person may feel incensed because they're not nearly as close to me as a, um, you know, they're, they're more just like buying something from uh, a vendor instead of, you know, getting something from somebody they have a relationship with and that, you know, they're just treating the relationship a little more, uh, we'll say a little more shallow. I don't think that I would be able to uh, have much ground to stand on with people like that if I fail to deliver this one reward, you know? Okay, that makes sense. But yeah, so I, you know, I thought about giving people a digital edition. I thought about um, including, you know, like the most luxury way that I could probably do it is to give one card for Michael, one card for Sardius, so that if you didn't like the original cards, you could actually um, just trade out the, you know, the original Michael, the Archangel card for the alternate art, and then you would not have to worry about it. I thought also about, hey, maybe we'll make these promotional items and give people a Michael the Archangel card that they can use as a promo. And that way, you know, when I have to print 10,000 of these to do 5,000 Michaels and 5,000 additional Sardius alternate art, I would be able to maybe hand out extras at conventions as a promotional item or maybe give uh, my retailers something cool to, you know, to give people that wanted to, you know, that walked into the shop. I think something like that would be really awesome. But you know, in, in the end, I, I felt like everything would just complicate more than let's just do a single character card in the box that they can use for those for those uh, characters. Is, in terms of delaying the project, because you've sent everything to manufacturing, right? It's, it's, there's not going to be any delay as a result of this. Right. So basically, the you know, the, the manufacturing team knows that instead of nine angel character cards, there are going to be ten. And we're, when we print it for this uh, prototype, final prototype copy to approve uh, before mass manufacturing, we're just not, they're just not going to send me that 10th card, but they're sending me nine of them already. So it's not like I'm going to need to, you know, critique the very last one or something. It won't delay manufacturing. The only thing that could delay manufacturing is if my artist took too long and he had definitely, he switched as soon as I decided this, he switched right away to working on these things, you know, in order to get them done on time, we had probably about three weeks, maybe, maybe four weeks before they need to be done and submitted and whatnot. And, um, so Dan is, uh, you know, working right now. He's actually given me designs for the initial, um, Sardius and it looks so cool, but, but yeah, so I think that it'll be, it'll be good, but from a business, a money-making sense, I'm going to lose money on this in the short term, but I expect to gain goodwill in the long term. And that's, I think, one of the big things that people need to think about when they're making a Kickstarter or doing a crowdfunding campaign. You know, we've had experiences where, you know, like some clients have really upset people uh, by taking a political side or, you know, other people have um, failed in some way like this small little stretch goal that we're talking about here and others have delayed shipping or maybe they've failed uh, to communicate for an extended period of time, but then they get back on the horse and they get back to it. I think that all of those things kind of add up over time 
to your reputation as a creator. And if you want to run million dollar Kickstarters, then you really need to have a good reputation. You know, like there's a reason that Simon is able to consistently run multi-million dollar Kickstarter campaigns. It's not just because they have really great IPs like Marvel. It's because that they have, they have a reputation for delivering. They have a reputation for thinking things through. And you know that if you back a Simon campaign, you're going to get the game in the condition that you were promised. And there's mm-hmm. no doubt at all on their ability to deliver it. So that's kind of what I want to be. But in order to do that, I think I had to eat a little bit of uh crow humble pie and change my knuckle sandwich yeah yeah. (laughs) a couple knuckle sandwiches from online trolls maybe but i think it's for the the best for the long-term health of a company there's one other example that i wanted to mention which was a company that i just feel like they'll sue the pants off of us because that's the type of thing that they threaten if i said their name but they produced um, some really good games, uh, some games I have on my shelf. One of them in particular is one of the best solo games that I've played. It's a solo only game. Th- this particular company started trolling its own backers about delivery times and oh about paying, you know, there were, there's, you know, backers are very cognizant of the people that made the games happen. They want to make sure those people are compensated properly. So when you're not paying your designers, but you're making money, but you're not using it to pay your designer like you've agreed to. The designer eventually has no recourse other than to publicly shame you for 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 your or for doing that. And they came out and said, "We're going to sue everybody." You know, is basically what they said. And I think they went out of business. And it's the it was the second company that that that, that person started, second company that went out of business uh, for their shady business practices, and probably not the last company that they started, but probably the last one in the board game industry. So I think that there's, you know, it's uh, stupid is as stupid does as Forrest Gump says, and just don't, don't be stupid. If ever you think would, would an idiot do that? Then just, if the answer is yes, then do not do that. As, Dwight's uh, law. Yeah. Dwight's law. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.